Hello, good evening and welcome to another edition of Straight Talking English. My name is Catherine, I am your host for this evening. I am a qualified teacher and I'll be talking you through the AQA Lit Anthology, both halves, power and conflict and love and relationships in my very own unteacherly way. Plug at the start, straighttalkingenglish.wordpress.com if you'd like to read some more stuff on the context. Before I get cracking on bayonet charge today, I am just going to give you a little content warning. I will briefly be talking about domestic abuse and suicide. I'll give you a shout out when I'm about to say it, but if you're the kind of person that that's going to be a problem for, then please, please, please skip ahead when I say that for about 30 seconds or so, and then I'll get back on track and start talking about enjambment. So, poem this week is bayonet charge my Ted Hughes. Ted Hughes, born in 1930. So about the same age as my granddad, possibly one of your great-grandparents since, oh my gosh, I've realised I'm literally old enough legally to be the parent of a year 11 and that is really upsetting. He passed away in 1998, so very much a modern poet. Born in Yorkshire and the countryside is very much a theme in his poems. His dad served in the First World War at Ypres, Y-P-R-E-S. Fortunately he was able to come home relatively uninjured and told the young Hughes, little Ted, all about his time in Flanders fields. He also had to do his national service. Shortly after the Second World War, young men were expected to spend a year or two in the armed forces. There wasn't really a conflict going on, but it was just like a traditional character-building kind of vibe. If you read the Daily Mail and they say bring back national service, I'll sort out young people, that is exactly what they mean. And some countries, such as France, do still expect young people to do national service on one day, one way or another. Big theme that Ted Hughes explores is beauty and violence in nature. If you don't remember anything else about Bayonet Charge or Ted Hughes, beauty and violence in nature. One of the important biographical notes about Ted Hughes is that he was married to another poet called Sylvia Plath, who was also the writer of a fantastic and really, really horrifying book called The Bell Jar. If you just feel like you're too happy and just want to have all the life sucked out of you, then read The Bell Jar. I honestly don't think I slept for a couple of days after reading it. This is the bit I warned you about, so please switch off for the next 30 seconds or so if this is going to be an issue. While he was married to Sylvia Plath, she accused him of physical abuse to the extent where she miscarried his baby. Plath had a history of mental health issues, And while there were no witnesses either way or the other, this is an allegation which has followed Hughes around for years and years and years. Plath eventually took her own life. She completed suicide by suffocation. And in her notes leading up to her death, she very, very, very much blamed Ted Hughes. In his later writings, he addressed this issue in some quite heartbreaking poetry in which he very much claims it was a shock to him. And it's kind of a he said, she said kind of scenario. But honestly, as a human being, Ted Hughes is 
not one of my favourite people. So leave that aside. It's not directly relevant to the poem, but it is some context on the list of poets I hate as human beings. Right, if you just switched back in, this is not going to be a list of people I hate. This is, of course, going to be about bayonet charge. Brief narrative of this poem is there is a soldier, full stop. He is ordered to go, quote unquote, over the top. So climb out of his trench, run towards the enemy. At one point, he stops. That's like the whole poem. This got asked to me last week, what is a bayonet? And the answer is it's a knife that you stick on the end of a gun. So if you've got like a long rifle, it's a knife you can just attach to the end. So it's kind of, kind of a two-in-one. If you're far away, use the rifle. If you're close, use the bayonet. But the slight, you know, you'd think like two-in-one, that'd probably be quite effective. And these young men are up against literal machine guns and barbed wire and flamethrowers and all manner of dramatic World War One weaponry, which dramatically outclasses these bayonets because they would be out there by the time this poem is set. Quick note, of course, it's World War One, so it's 1914 to 1918, the same years as exposure. Again, if you want to make a pairing, chronological pairing. But back on point, the bayonet will be very, very flimsy and old-fashioned and completely inappropriate for what they were expected to do. Let's, let's have a look at this, actually. Suddenly, he awoke and was running in raw seamed hot khaki, his sweat heavy. We've immediately got this alliteration of the r and the h sounds. So think about it. R, h, r, h. It's hard work, it's heavy breathing. So much heavy breathing, in fact, that his sweat is heavy. These tiny droplets of moisture are weighing him down. Think about if you buy a pair of trousers and they don't fit you properly, and they kind of chafe. I mean, this is a problem that I have because I love skinny jeans. It might not be a problem that you have, but it might be a problem our soldier has because his raw-seamed hot khaki. Khaki is the rough, rubbishy fabric that soldiers' uniform are made out of and if it's rubbing against him and it's rubbing him raw it's the wrong size so it might be too big for him because he's very young we've immediately got the green hedge again beauty and violence in nature the green youth natural oh so lovely and that's in the middle of this war zone google pictures of the first world war the earth is churned up it's solid mud this is a thing that comes back a bit later this recurring motif that he thinks he's back on the farm because the mud and the dirt he sees reminds him of the farm so stumbling across a field of clods a clod I think if you're digging with a shovel in your garden and you've got the bit of dirt that you've just dug up on the shovel that's a clod so it almost implies that he's in this domesticated in this like pleasantly familiar farm setting but it's not he's stumbling he's not fully conscious of what's happening he's definitely not in control we've got the enjambment coming in like that dazzled with rifle fire hearing bullets it's the chaos everything's just flowing around him he's got no power he's got no agency the personified bullets 
This is really cool, actually. Bullets smacking the belly out of the air. You could write a whole essay just on that line, to be honest. It's the bullets that are doing the bad thing, not the soldiers. The soldiers aren't killing people, it's the bullets. So actually, it's it's kind of this sense of complete separation from what you're doing and who you are it's there's no idea that actually it's an enemy creating this it's just person just dehumanized bullets and everything's just an object the official line is that it's kind of the bullet and the soldier have become one but I like seeing it as this anonymity like I don't even know where this is coming from the word belly and smacking are little kid words you wouldn't have an adult going I've got a belly ache it's a it's a baby word and maybe that's again showing his youth I mean you had to be 18 to join up but I think the youngest was 12, like a really big 12-year-old. And many people did lie. Maybe again, maybe he is just really young. But he's lugging this rifle as numb as a smashed arm. We've got this, again, everything's kind of linked. The imagery that comes through is almost robotic. The rifle is numb because obviously it doesn't have feelings, but metaphorically it's like it's attached to him, it's this limb hanging off him, giving this inhuman, artificial quality to it. I think lugged as well. Very informal. It's very um, characterising. So yeah, lugging that bag to school, are you? Like, it gives you immediately an impression of how he sees himself. We've got this lovely juxtaposition. The patriotic tear that brims in his eye. Well, that's a lovely thing, right? It's noble, it's emotional. As he signed up, his eyes swelled with tears at the thought he would help his country. But then we have this contrast again with the robotic imagery. It's like molten iron from the centre of his chest. He's not really human. It's kind of interesting because if you think of something hot metallic in the physical centre of something, it's almost a tank. Or if you're me, the Dalek that springs to mind. We've got these lovely dashes coming through dashes are pulls for interruption and I kind of see this as his panic he's looking one way then something catches his attention then another thing then another thing gives us this lovely sense of chaos it's used by other poets notably Simon Armitage to give the punctuation a role in the background and the tone it's a lovely technique Actually, you could make a great point about structure in this. We've got, oh, the beautiful Volta. And I'll be honest, I used to hate this poem. But the more times I've read it, the more I'm actually appreciating it. It's not actually making me like Ted Hughes, though. That's never, ever, ever going to happen. But you never know. You never know. Maybe the poetry will win me over. Lovely Volta, the turn in events. In bewilderment, the emotion. He almost stopped. Dash interruption. In what cold clockwork? of the stars and nations was he the hand pointing that second oh it's lovely again official line he's a clockwork machine could be trivializing like he's a little wind-up clockwork toy could be serious like he's heartless his actions are automated this robotic motif again the way i see it is a little bit different i think everything that's happened that 
led him to this one moment has been set in motion years and years, decades before it came to this. If you think about it like butterfly effect, I mean, I'm sitting here in my house talking to my laptop and talking to you indirectly about this, but the events that had to be set in motion for this to happen was I had to get my laptop, which meant my old laptop had to break. I had to remake my anthology which meant I had to have my original anthology which meant I had to been at my old job to get my anthology which meant I had to have done my training which meant I had to have passed my interview blah 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 blah. he becomes aware of this chronology this long narrative of which he is the final part you can track any moment in your life back and he has this awful moment of realisation. But it's cold, it's uncaring. The machine doesn't care about him. These forces are beyond him. They're whole nations. And the hand pointing that second. Just this moment of pause, this moment of wow. We know the purpose of a rhetorical question is to provoke thought. So who is he aiming to provoke thought from? Is it us reading it? thinking well how did he get into this situation is he asking himself and I think he is actually is he asking how could this clockwork have been put into place how have how have you anonymous windy uppy people because of course clockwork doesn't start on its own an intentional person has to wind it up how have you done this to me it marks a change of pace we've been quick 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 with dash and now we've got this slow enjambment as it also goes into slow-mo i like it we've got this drag we've got the statuary as well which I quite like the simile his foot hung like statuary why would someone put up a statue I mean because it's someone noble because it's someone we admire is it a memorial to someone who's died is it an allusion to a gravestone is it the fact that he's frozen like a statue is it linking to this heaviness again the molten iron very very ambiguous and it stops midline statuary in mid stride full stop Full stop indicates the end of that idea. Suddenly the time restarts, the shot slashed furrows. Furrows, if you plough on a field, they're the lines that emerge in the middle of the field. So again, coming back to this notion, well, there aren't actually going to be any furrows. But is he seeing things and relating them back to his life on the farm? Is Hughes, hint, yes he is, is Hughes exploring this idea of violence within nature again? Absolutely, he is. Now this is the poem that my mate called the fire rabbit poem, which I can't ever get out my head. So he's running along, time's restarted, and it threw, threw up a yellow hair that rolled like a flame, crawled in a thresh circle so he's running along and then he sees a bunny all right um plausibility of that um again google pictures of world war one there are not going to be to be buns running around (laughs) if it's something weird like that we can assume it's a metaphor a yellow hair yellow cowardice okay hair's a prey they're a creature that's hunted the hair is terrified its mouth is wide but it can't it's screaming but it can't make a sound its eyes are bulging it's crawling maybe he's the hair maybe the hair's his instinct deep inside this emotional human part that's hidden within the robot again like a dalek 
maybe it's his sense of questioning. The panic has just erupted and it's rolling like a flame and running round his head. The rabbit, the little hare, could be another soldier. All of a sudden, someone else emerges from the field who's maybe a coward, maybe, I don't know. And that's what's scaring him. Think about poison gas as well. Normally it's green, but he could be seeing sulphur gas that's rolling towards him. Threw up. I mean, yeah, literally it's throwing something. But Hughes' language isn't that different to ours. Threw up as in vomit, it's disgusting. Threshing circle. So long before we had farm machinery, people would stand in a circle and separate the nice bits of grains from the stalk of the grain. Almost a biblical image. It's quite primitive. It's natural, it's farming, it's intentional. I will never really get the bit about the bunny. That is entirely your interpretation. But he plums past with his bayonet towards the green hedge. Green hedge marking the chronology. He starts off looking at the green hedge. He's going towards it and finally he's got there, showing the pulls, the restart. Actually, hardly any time has passed. Plunged. You plunge into a pool, like a swimming pool, if you go far too deep right to the bottom he's got in so deep he can't get out of this king honor human dignity etc these are the things that he's supposed to value yes the king yes his honor but even just something basic as behaving like a human being has now just become trivial etc and so on everything is just second to the situation he's found himself in they're dropped like luxuries like something you no longer need in this moment the brute the blue crackling air gives us this very dangerous tone this electricity normally you'd think oh there's electricity in the air could be exciting but it's quite threatening it's this artificiality again what pings into my head is like frankenstein where dr frankenstein's got him lying down he pulls a switch and the lightning comes down is what's animating him but then we finish with his terror's touchy dynamite the alliteration of t is this quick switching to to think just an animal like a little cat that's just bewildered and confused but his terror's gonna go off in any second dynamite explodes it's touchy it's ready to go so we know in the future something is gonna set off his fear is he gonna end up like the bunny running around screaming silently is he gonna go in for it is he gonna have this moment of just sheer rah brave heart running for it we don't know we don't know it's an ambiguous ending to this very very tiny narrative which has been stretched over three lovely almost regular stanzas actually because we've got two octets and then a little septet in the middle very nice we don't actually have that much punctuation to talk about we've just got some commas some full stops and some dashes remember full stop end of an idea gives a definite finish dash pulls for interruption and we're sorted i hope you like this one actually because this is a really nice little poem really nice once i got over the whole bunny thing it was that cold clockwork which really struck me because these events have been put in motion years and years and years before and people in power were aware of it and yet the ordinary soldier joining up or being um called up are 
unaware of it until it finally impacts on their lives. This is a good poem. Natural partner, of course, is exposure because we've got the chronology, both First World War, pity of war, experience of soldiers. Yeah, that. (laughs) There you go. That's done. That's done for you. I would also say Light Brigade as a nice opposite, you know, soldiers and noble. We could argue you could make a statuary point between this and poppies if you're feeling brave to be honest if you're feeling it i think remains would make a nice partner as well because it's this very small moment of narrative i think that'd be quite sweet to be honest Duchess is not an immediate one for me. Prelude, yeah, it's nice. Man versus nature. You could uh, you could talk very much about agency, power. Who is in control in this situation? Is it nature? Is it the protagonist? What's going on? Really, really nice. I would stay away from Ozymandias and London. There are much better pairings you can make, to be honest. We are nearly halfway through. I think we might even be halfway through Power and Conflict, which is making me very, very happy. If you've got suggestions once eventually I have finished the anthology and been rambling about poetry, if you've got suggestions about what you'd like me to tackle next, please drop me a line on Twitter. I am Straight Talk English, S-T-R-8 Talk English, because every other combination of the name of this podcast had already been taken. Oh my gosh. WordPress, I am straighttalkingenglish.wordpress.com. If you would then anything you would like to see me write or similar, stay on board. Keep going with this podcast because I have a very exciting new project which I reveal to you a little bit later. Coming up on the next episode, we are going to have Farmer's Bride, which I'm going to argue is pretty much my favourite poem. And pretty much my favourite poet as well, Charlotte Mew. So we'll take a little bit, bit further back, Victorian poet, Farmer's Bride. Love a lovely ambiguous one. Have a lovely rest of week. Enjoy your half term if you're listening to this on half term. And have a great time annotating.